The title of the message is, Need a Breakthrough? The truth shall set you free. John chapter 5, verse 1 down to verse 11, as we just read. So here's a man, many believe he's paralyzed. He's unable to locomote uh, with his legs physically. He's unable to walk. He is at a pool in Jerusalem. The pool is identified as the pool of Bethesda, which means house of mercy or flowing water. And there's a bunch of people around this pool, lots of them. In fact, please look at verse 3 again. A great multitude of sick people, blind, lame, paralyzed. Many people believe this gentleman, 38 uh, years, had this infirmity that he was paralyzed. We don't know totally but for sure, but many believe he was paralyzed. But he definitely had this condition for 38 years. And there's two main factors of why they're there. Okay, all these people around this pool have a condition, a physical condition, that it's obvious they need help outside of themselves. In other words, every day that they woke up, they couldn't like will their healing. Deep down inside, I'm sure they tried throughout their life. Like, this is the day and I just really believe it and I hope it and I want to just will it and pull it from my gut, you know, into my legs or do I want to see. But they're unable to do it. They need help outside themselves. And the second thing we see here is that they, they believed in a certain location. They had this condition, these conditions, okay, which is noted here, sick, blind, lame, paralyzed. And, and they're at the pool of Bethesda, which I noted means house of mercy, flowing water. And the reason why is because they believe, they believe that uh, in, in, in what probably is, a, is folklore, is probably kind of a superstition at this time, and that is that there had been a time that there was a moving of the waters and some believed that an angel touched the waters and the first one in was healed. Now, many Bible students believe that, you know, maybe it took place, but many actually believe that this was actually superstition, that the moving of the waters had to do with some type of subterranean currents that fed the pool and stuff. And so you have all of these individuals who are unable to help themselves day after day stuck at the pool of Bethesda, I believe informed by a superstition. And Jesus steps in to bring rescue. He steps in to set this man free. And the question that we want to ask is that in this particular context of a paralyzed man, what does it look like to continue in Jesus' word that sets us free or that brings the potential that the Lord has intended for our lives. Because look at verse eight. We have it up on the screen. If you don't have your Bible there, Jesus said to him, rise. Okay, this is his word. And Jesus said, if you continue my word, you'll know the truth and the truth shall set you. Can someone tell me? Free, right? Rise, take up your bed and walk. And immediately the man was made well, took up his bed and he walks, right? So look, here's the thing. A lot of people lean on superstitions. A superstition is a, is a belief not founded in truth and reality. And, I, and one of them is, you know, two plus two is five. You know, you, you could be sincere with that belief, but it doesn't make uh, two plus two actually five. In fact, I said that to my eldest grandson who's here this morning. You know, he's eight years of age, and I was talking about whatever I was talking about this morning, I can't remember, but I said, hey, you know, two plus two is five. He laughed at that. Papa, calls me Papa. 
Papa, you're the greatest man in the world. No, actually, he didn't say that part. Sorry, but no, I was just kidding. Papa, Papa, two plus two is not five. No, I'm sincere, Greg. I'm really sincere. Sincerity doesn't make it five, Papa, type of a thing, you know. So people can have sincere beliefs, but you can be sincerely wrong. And it's like, here's the Lord wants to bring freedom and wholeness. He wants us to know the truth. The truth will set us free. What does that really mean? I mean, that's some of the questions that we're pursuing. And, and here's the thing. Okay, now, patience. Okay, here we're in John 5. Remember, we, a couple of weeks ago, we jump-started this expository series with this exchange in John 18 between the Roman governor, Judea, Pilate, and Jesus. And this was hours before he was sentenced to be crucified. And, and, the, and the issue that became front and center, which is monstrous, was the issue of truth. Okay, so Jesus and Pilate have this exchange. We have it up on the screen. We're going to get a little running start this morning, okay, and kind of narrow into the bullseye of John 5. But Jesus said to Pilate, I am a king. He says, and for this cause I was born. Born indicates his humanity. For this cause I came into the world indicates his deity. That I should bear witness to the truth and everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. Pilate, when he heard this, this is monstrosity, man. And this is one of the great exchanges in, in history. And, we, and the idea is we need to go back and finish the conversation really. Because what's being said here is huge. Pilate ends up asking, well, what is truth? Jesus said, I am a king. I've come to bear witness of the truth. He who hears the truth, hears my voice. Okay? I bear witness to everyone who's of the truth, excuse me, hears my voice. Pilate asks, well, what is truth? And he ends the conversation. And whether he asks it with a sneer, mocking Jesus, like, again, what, are, what is truth? You know? Or with a sigh, like, oh, man. Yeah, like, well, what is truth? We don't know. But the backdrop in the first century in Greek-Roman culture is, there was no authoritative answer to that question. I personally believe it was more with the sigh. I don't believe Pilate is mocking Jesus. So he's like, man, well, like, what is truth, man? Well, um, in our culture, this is a similar attitude. It's like, well, yeah, well, really, what is truth? Is there some divine narrative? It's like, has God written himself into the play of life? What is truth? What is the truth about God? What is the truth about our lives? Do we have any type of authoritative answer to that? And earlier, and I'd like you to turn there at this time, okay? Kind of just getting a running start. Turn to John chapter 8. Record in John chapter 8, Jesus said, If you continue in my word, you will be my disciples. If you continue in my word, you are my disciples, and you shall know the truth and the truth shall make you free. And it's like, okay, just check this out. Okay, if you continue in my word, you'll be my disciples. You know the truth, the truth shall set you free. We just have to ask the question, well, what's the, what's the word that Jesus is saying you need to continue in, in context? Because it's not in context Leviticus 23 or Genesis chapter 21. Those are very important scriptures. But in context, what's the word, my word? And he's speaking here in verse 41, check it out, to those who actually believed him. So in, the, in this context, hang in there, in this context to those who are actually believing Jesus, he's telling them, continue in my word. Like, follow me, follow me, follow me, keep following me. 
One of them was Nicodemus. He followed him all the way to the cross. On Passover, lifted up, the Lamb of God takes away the sins of the world. Okay, so keep following, because if you do, okay, you have relationship with me. Okay, this rabbinical disciple relationship, mentorship, you're going to know the truth, the truth shall set you free. And in the immediate context, we ask the question, well, what is the word they are believing? And that Jesus is saying, continue to follow me because you'll know the truth. Well, I want you to look at verse, or chapter 7. Go back to chapter 7. Go back to chapter 7. And notice in verse 37, Jesus, in, in a very unique context, makes this radical claim. So look, when Jesus said, if you continue in my word, you'll know the truth, the truth shall set you free. He's making this profession, okay, in a particular context. And the context is actually the Feast of Tabernacles. And this means that Jesus is revealing himself in a particular backdrop that helps us see nuances of his claim and authority. Like a couple of days ago, there was Valentine's Day. So in that context, that I communicated a few things in that context. So I, I communicated a demonstration of love for my wife. It's Valentine's Day. I sent texts to my two daughters with a bunch of hearts and kisses, as well as I got them seized chocolate. Thank you very much. My wife actually got it. Anyways, okay, so got some seized chocolate. And there's another woman I love tremendously, my mother. Okay, so anyways, so what? It, the, the backdrop is, well, it's Valentine's Day, and so there's something revealed, and it's the affection of this guy named Greg Denham, and we're thinking of our loved ones. Are you guys tracking with me on this, right? Okay, and then prior to that, you had the Super Bowl, and it's like, you know, really competitive teams. So in the backdrop of the Super Bowl, NFL teams and stuff, incredible speed, you know, great tacticians, you, you see talent being revealed. You, you see teams, you know, the, the best team coming to the surface. Well, there are three particular feasts that the Lord required all male Jews to present themselves to him. All of which, the Lord in these feasts revealed radical revelation and truth. Passover, oh, well, 1,300 years prior, you guys, we know this at Rise Church, you know, you have the great exodus of children of Israel out of Egypt. Then 13 years after, to the day, Jesus is being lifted up, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. In the Mishnah, there's a tradition that the lambs of Passover, the Passover lambs, their insides were removed and placed on their head called the crown sacrifice. Jesus is lifted up on the cross. He's bearing a crown of thorns. He's, he's bearing the sin of the world, bringing exodus, a true exodus to the entire world out of the enslavement of sin. Can I hear an amen to that? Okay, so watch. Then you have Pentecost. Well, that's one of the feasts too. That's when the Lord's launching, all right, this movement, this Jesus revolution from Jerusalem to impact the entire world. The Holy Spirit comes upon the disciples in tradition. That was when fire was atop Mount Sinai, presence of God, God giving his law. 1,300 years later, law being written in the hearts of men, fire atop their heads. And now uh, the Feast of Tabernacles, that's a fall feast that speaks of the reign of Jesus on planet earth, God tabernacling on planet earth. Okay, it's like, well, Jesus dwelt among us, yes. 
Okay, and we beheld the glory, the glory of the only begotten. But one day, he will dwell on planet earth. And his glory will be known all throughout the earth. So it will be like tabernacles on steroids. Okay? So in this context, hang in there, if you continue in my word. What's the word that they are believing? Well, pick it up here in verse 37. The last day, that great day of the feast. Well, this is actually the seventh day of tabernacles. It's a great day. You have a band of Levites with choir and orchestra who's made their way to the pool of Siloam to gather running water and huge urns to return to pour on the altar. And they're crying, Hosanna, Hosanna, Lord, save us, Lord, save us. And, and symbolically, they believe that the Messiah would pour his spirit upon Israel, blessed generously with his presence. It's in this context, Jesus stood up and cried. If anyone thirsts, let, let him come to me and drink. And he who believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living waters. Whoa. I mean, Jesus was telling the crowds here. In the backdrop of tabernacles, he is the Messiah. And if you have right relationship with him, watch this. Look up here, you guys. Watch this. You'll have torrents of living waters. The Holy Spirit will indwell you, work in you, and actually through you. He will bring you into intimate communion with Almighty God. Hey, let me ask you something. Is Christianity, is Christianity an academic exercise? No. Is Christianity a philosophy? No. Is it merely a form of enlightenment? No. Watch this, watch this. Like we're studying the Word of God. If you continue, my Word. It's just, if I just am illuminated with the truth of Scripture, is that the end in itself? No. It's to facilitate intimacy of relationship with our Heavenly Father. And at the core, that's the truth that sets us free because deep down inside, we're all longing for relationship with our Heavenly Father. In context, watch this. So in context, when he, when he says, look, if you, can, if you continue in my word, you'll be my disciples, you'll know the truth, the truth will set you free. Those who are believing Jesus at this time have taken him at his word in the context of tabernacles that believing in him, torrents of living water will flow forth from their life, that he is the Messiah. Are you tracking with me on that, okay? Now watch. Let's continue in his word. Hey, there's a, there's a point to all of this. You say, Greg, get to your point. I hear that, I hear that. Okay, hang in there. Okay, turn to John chapter 8, church family. Look at verse 48. It reveals a radical cut down. So the He's in Jerusalem, still tabernacles, a radical cutdown of Jesus claiming an illegitimate birth in verse 48. So there are some who believe, there are some who don't. Verse 48, the Jews answered and said to him, do we not say rightly, you are a Samaritan, have a demon? Now, that is a terrible thing to say. One, they're questioning the legitimacy of his birth, like who's your daddy? Okay, and not only that, but to say that he has a demon, it's like it doesn't get worse than that. It's like you're, you're demon-possessed. So you are actually inspired by the devil, okay? So these are not obviously ones who believe in Jesus, okay? But what's going to come out of this is further, listen now, further revelation in the backdrop of the Feast of Tabernacles, further revelation of who Jesus is. 
And the title is, hey, if you need a breakthrough, the truth will set you free. It all starts with like knowing who Jesus is. That brings the breakthrough, right? So if you look here in verse, look here in verse 56, let's just jump down. Jesus said, your father Abraham rejoiced to see my day. He saw it and was glad. The Jews said, well, you're not yet 50 years old. And you've seen Abraham. Jesus said to him, most assuredly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I, let's all say the next word, I am. Okay, whoa, I am? It's like, Lord, did you finish? Did you want to say anything more there? Like, I am, fill in the blank. No, that's, that's just, I am. He's claiming to be the great I am who revealed himself to Moses, the self-existing one. Listen, this is really specific. Jesus didn't say, I am God. No, he's actually more specific than that. He's, he's, he's claiming to be Yahweh. He's claiming to be the one who, who's never created. So the, the idea is that Jesus is not man who became God. No, it, Jesus is God who became a man. God lowered himself. He went from a Mozart symphony of complexity to a three-chord country song. God became a man. He lowered himself. This is radical. And, and the idea, no, look, you guys, and we've got some students here. Good to see you guys. Okay, I want you to get this. The idea that, um, hey, you know, Abraham rejoiced to see my day. Yeah, because like God chose Abraham through Abraham's descendants, the entire world's going to be blessed in the Messiah. And it's like in Abraham, it's like, oh man, it's like God revealed himself through me. Isaac and Jacob, the whole world's going to be blessed. Phenomenal. Lord was, the world was blessed by the witness of the Lord God of Israel and Egypt and Babylon and the Ninevites. But, but the ultimate blessing is in the Son. The ultimate blessing is in the Messiah. It's like for him to say, Abraham, rejoice to see my day. It's like, yes, because I believe through me, the genius plan of God is unfolding and the entire world is going to be blessed and the entire world is blessed by the Messiah of Israel. Can I hear another big amen to that? So look, what are we reading about? What are we, what are, what's the point? The point is, here's, here it is. Find up on the screen, hey, you need a breakthrough. It all starts with Jesus. Jesus is the Messiah. That's what Jesus is revealing in the backdrop of tabernacles. And that the Messiah is actually the Lord. It's no small thing. We hear these terms all the time, but Messiah means anointed one. Okay? The, the promised anointed one, son of David. Lord means almighty. And he came to deliver and to heal. Revelation 1.8 says, He who is and was and is to come, the Almighty. So look, I'm going to pause here real quick. We're going to get to a second point, just a second. Look, to just to get this point, Jesus is the Messiah, the Lord who came. He stepped down. He wrote himself in the play of life to deliver and heal. This is important for us to remember today. It's important to us to remember in 2020 because we're entering into an a, a, a election year. And um, we just need to remember that we have a tendency to oversimplify in our culture very complex problems. In fact, one person said we treat our political leaders as heroes and demagogues. They carry our dreams and our fantasies of how things should be. And we find out that they are only human after all. We turn to them, blaming them for the intractable problems that they, like their predecessors, 
haven't been able to solve. So here we are entering into an election year. We have a way of oversimplifying complex problems. The reality is the world is broken. There's a lot of good, there's no doubt about it. There's no perfect parents. There's no perfect body. There's no perfect country. There's no perfect soul. Our spirit needs to be made alive to have right relationship with God. And the answer is the Messiah who is the Lord. Simple, but we're starting there, okay? He is the answer because he addresses the core problem, broken relationship with God. Our country cannot answer the core problem. Only God can. If if it was a political issue, the Lord would have sent a politician. If it was a, I don't know, you know, physical issue, he would have sent some great athlete or something to show us the way. No, we need the Father. And Jesus came to bring us in right relationship with him. And I just want to remind you, you know, one of our founding fathers, John Adams, I mentioned this a couple weeks ago, said that our Constitution was made only for a moral and religious people. It's wholly inadequate to the government of any other. And he also said democracy never lasts long. It soon wastes, exhausts, and murders itself. There was never democracy that did not commit suicide. Okay, look, let's get more personal though. More personal in what way? Let's go back to John chapter 5. And here we are studying about a man who needed help outside of himself. I just want to ask, can you relate to this man? Because I can. Because I can. Do you ever feel stuck? You know, you ever wonder if things can change for you? There's physical paralysis, but there's also other types of paralysis of attitude or outlook, transformation from the inside out, habit, self-defeating, you know, habits, addictions. So it's like, let's, let's go back here in John 5. The, the question is, hey, do you need a breakthrough? What's interesting is Jesus doesn't approach the man to stir up the waters in the pool of Siloam. He actually approaches him to stir up his own life. And he asks him in verse 6, do you want to be made well? Do you want to be made well? And here's the point. The Lord stirs up actually in our life by his spirit, kind of the want factor. Do you want to be made well? Let me ask you a question. Does it strike you as a bit odd that Jesus would walk in the pool of Siloam and just think, I mean, just like, you know, I, I don't know how many people. Okay, let's just say there's a hundred people around this monster pool, and, and some are blind and some are paralyzed, and and they're all leaning into this idea that there's this, you know, one time in history an angel came down and touched the waters. I think it's folklore personally. And first one in was healed, and so and they're leaning on this. Okay, and Jesus, one of the ways he sets us free is from crazy superstitions that just mean we're living an illusion that leads to disillusionment. He steps in, he brings the truth that sets us free. Can I hear another amen to that? Okay, but it, it, does, this, does this strike you as a little odd that he actually asks a man who had this infirmity for 38 years, do you want to be made well? Um, you know, maybe, um, I don't know, maybe he had some multiple sclerosis, maybe there was some paralysis, maybe he had experienced an accident in his life. But there's a reason Jesus is asking this. Um, and, and that is that in some places in the Middle East, uh, if, if a man was actually healed of an infirmity, 
it, it actually took him away from, um, from having actually a pretty good living. In other words, he was living off the support of others. I'm not saying that that is the mentality and the idea of all those who would be in an affirmity, but that historically is clearly the case. I mean, did, did this man ever look through the porticos of the pool, realizing that if he was healed, his life would then have to face some larger responsibilities. Because as strange as it may seem, there are people who don't want help. Okay, now, I'm not implying any way, stretch, any way, stretch, any, I'm speaking in tongues right now. Anyway, <laughs> forget it. Okay, um, that those who are like on the side of the road don't want to be made well, I'm not. But the reality is, some don't. And they're comfortable where they're at. And, and some even kind of play the victim, which is, you know, there's been some injury and they're allowing that injury. And sometimes injuries in life can be terrible. I mean, terrible, sexual exploitation, all kinds of things. You don't even want to raise it right now. I can, I can imagine being painful memories to some if we push every terrible injury that, that can exist. But, but, but a victim's mentality is to allow an injury to paralyze your progress. So it, it starts like saying things like, well, life has not turned out as I hoped, or I'm going to hold on to my injury or my perceived injury. I'll be bitter that such circumstances took place in my life. Um, and, and that's all just simply saying, I'm going to allow the injury to paralyze my progress. And, and some kind of living a victim's mentality, kind of that mentality, the Lord wants us to get over that, um, one of the things they enjoy is the attention that they're getting. Now, here's the thing. I, 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 have no, I don't know the background of this guy. And here I'm kind of surmising, going off and commentating. We're just trying to interpret this. I'm trying to interpret why Jesus asked him, do, do you want to be made well? I mean, we know the Lord's a perfect gentleman. We know he stands in the door and knocks. And if anyone hears his voice, metaphor, there in the book of Revelation, and open the door, he'll come in. But let me just say this, the question of whether we want God's best in our life, it's a legit question. I mean, what's your want factor? I mean, I think of Thomas Edison, creator of the light bulb, you know. I mean, that guy was driven, man. Thousands of attempts were made before he found the right combination. And someone asked him, hey, you know, you tried so much, um, you know, when asked about like all the times, and Edison allegedly said, I, I've not failed a thousand times. I've successfully discovered a thousand ways not to make the light bulb, you know? But his one factor is monstrous. Here's the thing. Ultimately, the, the Lord is looking for a willing partner here. And so therefore, it's important to our own growth, i.e. sanctification, that we're willing to dance with the Lord we're willing to say, okay, I want you to have your way in my life. I want to step into that. It's like Paul wrote, Philippians 2, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. It's God who works in you both to do uh, his will and to do his good pleasure. And so it's like, okay, well, he works in a desire. Okay, but I got to do something with that. And there's all kinds of paralysis. There's crippling bitterness or lust or carnality or addiction. The Lord is like saying, hey, I, I want your permission to work. I want your permission. And you know, that's what we see here. 
So before we get to the third point, check out verse 8. I mean, what does it look like to give the Lord permission? And for his word, therefore, okay, if if I continue his word, I'll know the truth and it's going to set me free. What does that look like? In verse 8, Jesus said to him, rise. Hey, that's a great name for a church, right? Rise, rise. Take of your bed and walk. And immediately the man was made well, and he took up his bed and walked. Look up here for a second. That rise is a command. And you are asking this guy who has this infirmity for 38 years, who says, you know, he doesn't even have someone to put him in the water. I'm assuming some form of paralysis, don't know for sure. You're asking him to rise and take up his bed? His bed, the idea of what he's been leaning on or what has held him? The bed has been holding him, rise, that is a command. And and in this moment, he's not asking the man to get in touch with his feelings. He's asking this man to get in touch with this command, whether he feels it or not. It's like, that's not the issue. It's like, I want you to get in touch with the command because truth sets you free. Okay? And truth often doesn't come with right feelings. In fact, our feelings rarely tell us the truth. So in this idea, when he says rise, that's a command. Rise. And somehow, some way, this man's will had to have coincided some, with the directive. And, and, you know, it's like try to wrap your mind around that. So I'm assuming there's some form of paralysis. I don't know for sure. Rise. It's like this guy somehow had to have been moved by that where he said, Okay, I will. I will step into that. I'm gonna, I'm gonna, in other words, he says, Rise. Whoa. If I continue in his word, the truth will set me free, right? Okay, that's kind of what we're trying to develop. So I'm gonna focus in on this next step. It's like it reminds me of when the Lord told the children of Israel, All right, take the ark and have the priest lead you you know, to, to the other side of the Jordan, and there they are carrying the ark, and they're stepping into the Jordan River, getting their feet wet. It's like, okay, it's process focus. It's like, man, I don't know. Watch, watch this. It's like, in this man's mind, I don't know how I'm going to be totally healed here. And, I don't, and even if I was, how am I going to pick up my bed? I don't have the strength. I'm atrophying, all these different things. But he's just focused on that first step. He's like, I'm going to trust this directive. And as I do, then he ends up experiencing, of course, power. When you combine God's will with obedience, there's always power. When you combine truth with trust, I'm going to, tr- I mean, you know trust the Lord. There's power, man. When you take truth, and it's so beautiful to hear you guys singing this morning, but honestly, when we have to sing these songs, when you add proclamation, give voice to what's true, there, there's, there's influence there. That's beautiful. God inhabits the praises of his people. When you combine truth with who God is in prayer, there is power. You know, context. Perhaps John saw this man, John, when he was pinning this, inspired by the Holy Spirit. Perhaps he saw this man embodying the nation of Israel as a whole. A nation that had wandered for 38 years in the wilderness, Deuteronomy 2.14. And there's an implication here. And that is Israel, God's chosen people, the descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, 
Hey, do do you want to live your full potential in the Messiah? Do you want to be made well? Because Jesus said, unless you say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, you will not see me. But we know there's a generation that that will take place. And in fact, and we were just studying this, oh my goodness, repeated a thousand times, but so worth it though. One day, Israel, during tabernacles, we have the scripture up on the screen, is living her full potential at the second coming of Jesus. And it says, it shall come to pass that everyone who is left among the nations, which came against Jerusalem, shall go up from year to year to worship the, can someone tell me, King, the Lord of hosts, and keep the feast of tabernacles. So look, rise. I mean, what, what is the Lord saying to you? And how is the Holy Spirit maybe bringing an application as to what that means? In accordance to the truth of how he wants to continue his healing and his wholeness and his growth in your life. Because, it, it, look, I believe, even though the man didn't know who was speaking to him, um, it could be argued that it does matter, of course, but it could be argued it's the truth that sets you free. So in, in someone like really stripping it down, it's like that guy responded to what truth is, divine truth. He willed to accept it as true and somehow, some way, that ended up bringing this unfolding miracle in his life. And the second thing is, when he says take up your bed, it's a picture of taking control of what, of what once held you. So we're able to take up what has once held us. And that is just a flat-out fact. Look, I love the way G. Campbell Morgan put it. He said, in order to make no provision for a relapse, the man might have said to himself, you know, I'm healed, but I, but I better leave my bed there and I, I, I may need it tomorrow. And if he had said that, he would have been back in it the next day. But he, did, but he did not. Jesus said, take up your bed, get rid of it, don't leave it there. So look, here's the thing. We're all in process. None of us are perfect. Can I hear an amen to that? Okay, but, but, we're, but, but the Lord has given us victory over self-defeating realities in our life, over crazy maybe addictions. So whether it's drugs or alcohol, whether it's sensuality, I don't know, whether it's lethargy, whether it's even a form of carnality, which is a stinking arrested state of development. It's just the thing is, is that we're not to be buried. The grave could not hold us in Christ. These things are not to hold us down. We are to have dominion over them, so to speak, and have victory over them. Amen to that, my brother or sister over there. I don't know. Or it could be my mother. It's probably my mom. No, give me the good, good joke. No, 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 okay. So anyways, so number three, watch this. When he says walk, and this is a picture of relationship. And I actually want us to return to it next week. I want us to talk about this. But it speaks of keep moving and growing and, and be onward. Because um, we're going to learn truth is not intended to be an end in itself. Uh, when the scripture says the word of God does not return void, in context, what it's saying is that God's word always accomplishes the purposes of transformation and relationship. That's the intent. In this case, this man is a physical demonstration of how the word of God brings wholeness and, in addition, 
how in Jesus he ultimately makes all things new. Because when the Lord returns, it's going to be a kingdom of wholeness, of shalom, of life. And so the third point is this, you guys. Jesus is calling. Man, it's his enabling. And our obeying is key to being set free and living the potential God purpose for our lives. Can I hear an amen to that? So here's, here's what I want us to do. I want us all stand at this time. And, I, and um, I'd like David to come on up and Kaylee. And we're going to sing a song. We're not done yet. But the question, the question I have for you, what does the Lord want, want to, to, to bring kind of a rise or a renewal or a healing? What does rise mean to you? How is the Holy Spirit bringing that hope of healing and wholeness to your heart. Because let me just say, like if he's saying, okay, look, I want you to rise and forgive, or I want you to rise and be unashamed of the gospel, or I want you to rise and just let go of what's been, what's been holding you in a particular area, man, just do it. And it's not based on feelings, and it's not based on full understanding. Obedience isn't. I mean, we can truly know the Lord, but we don't fully understand or can wrap our minds around him. And when he commands us to do something, it's coming from the standpoint of full understanding. It's like our Father knows best. Okay, we may not have complete understanding, and when do we ever have complete understanding? But we can trust his word because it's coming from the one who does have full understanding. And, and what, man, what is potentially the bed the reality that once held you, um, that the Lord wants you now to have control over in Jesus' name. What is that? Let's, let's pray and we're going to sing. Lord, um, we just give room now uh, in a little different way uh, to the Holy Spirit who is here with us. Would you search our hearts and minds and just thank you, Lord. You are, you, you are so beautiful and so gentle and yet you're a fighter. You, you, uh, you, actually, you actually hate anything that would undermine our highest good. And maybe for some, the idea of just, hey, rise and take up your bed and walk, that it, it speaks of an issue that you, you're working on. And we, Lord, we're all in construction. You know fully well that. And as Paul said, he, he is not fully mature, but he kept moving forward. So, so, and so, Lord, if that's the case, comfort and encourage. Thank you for your continued work. But maybe there's some areas here in our lives that you would just like to focus in on, Lord, as we've been discussing, that you want us to take a stand right now to rise. I'm going to rise and take up the bed and just keep my eyes on Jesus and follow him. I just thank you, Lord, that as we continue in your word, we'll know the truth and the truth shall set us free. So I just pray in Jesus' name, Lord, bring freedom, bring wholeness, bring blessing, bring shalom. Um, bless with, with, with the wholeness that's in you that you have purposed and what you've accomplished for us on the cross and in your resurrection.